Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us uh, today. And um, we're really excited to do this uh, venture with you guys. And uh, we're, we're looking at the first practice that this book, uh, that we've spent so much time uh, reading and studying. Um, and, and this first practice really is talking about um, having a resilient identity. And it's important to put this out there. And I, uh, I'll, I'll mention this a lot. But the context for all these practices uh, sit within what uh, David um, um, Miniman, Kinnaman Kinnaman. talks about. Yeah, David Kinnaman talks about as the digital Babylon. And he, he explains that digital Babylon is this, this world that we live in that is highly connected, fast-paced, uh, information at your fingertips, um, and, and has the real power and thrust to form individuals uh, accordingly. And this is the task that we have as uh, people who care for our young people and the, the generations to come, is that we disciple these young people in the midst of this digital Babylon. And uh, what I loved about this, uh, this chapter that we're going to get into today is um, right off the bat, he starts off by saying something along the lines that in digital Babylon, uh, disciples are handcrafted one at a time. And what I really love about this practice of developing uh, disciples with a resilient identity, an identity rooted in Jesus, is that this isn't something that just one program, if you will, is going to fix it or, or help us achieve that. And so we've, we've got to shift uh, what we're doing, how we're doing it, um, and, and be intentional about this. And so I'm excited about this because the way he, he, he talks about resilient identity is he, he says that um, there's a quote in, in, in one of the, in the first chapter that he talks about, and he says this, he says, Right now, the church, and I'm, I'm thinking he's talking about uh, the church in North America, he says, the church has responded to the identity pressures of our culture by offering people a Jesus brand experience, rather than facilitating a transformational experience to find their identity in the person and the work of Jesus. And I love how he puts that because it it kind of gives us something to to look at, not and not to guilt trip anybody and like you know make anybody feel bad in that, but really raises a mirror to say, hey, guess what? This is the context that we're in. This is the digital Babylon. This culture has a strong pull on our families, on us, as and, and on young people. And so, if we're going to make uh, a mark and if we're going to challenge. Uh, you know, uh, folks to follow after Jesus in in a, in a very real way. We've got to we've got to pay attention to that. We've got to pay attention to what what's actually happening, but not just pay attention so that we can kind of steer away, but rather steer uh, steer towards something. And and the the thing that I like that that he talks about uh, in this, which we're going to discuss today, is is this resilient identity. Um, and so. Um, this is this is Rach, and we we introduced uh, Rach and, and a bunch of us last last time. If you were following along, um, we're just going to have this conversation. And uh, so I, I want to throw this, that concept out there as we started, Rach. When you read this and you were thinking about uh, you know your experience with youth and reading this book and even what you do right now, what really stood out to you that was just you know it was like, hey, this is important and worth. Uh, I mean, there's lots of stuff worth there, but this is important for us to pay attention to. 
Yeah, I, I loved this chapter and found it to be um, kind of spot on as I contrast maybe my experience growing up in the church um, and what it was like, at, what especially youth ministry was like at the time that I was a teen and then growing into walking alongside teens and then, you know, into adulthood and being able to kind of look back a little bit on my experience. Um, and even more so as I look at teens today and just know a little bit about their world, both in my vocational work and in who I choose to hang out with, um, this battle for identity that is mm -hmm. so prominent and it's really fueled by some of the things that are present in our culture, like social media or brands or things that people wear and what do you affiliate with? Even back in the day, like what music did you listen to? You know, in my day, it was like, were you a skater or were you into rap? And what, like, it, there's always sort of this thing that you can attach yourselves to and the temptation, especially in high school, especially for teenagers is high to do that. Um, and they talk in this about like, what what is identity? And it sort of is this ambiguous thing. Um, and, the one of the quotes I loved was what we consume stakes a claim on who we are and this is the stuff of identity mm. um, and I find that to be so true right and we really do affiliate ourselves with whatever it is that we um, consume and then you touched on it in your intro there the the brand experience of Jesus and there's sort of um the, the data that the, the Barna research showed was actually that these resilient disciples want a real depth. They want to define themselves and in fact, get to have to define themselves on their identity in Christ versus what all these other temptations are, that that's actually like a clarifying point for teenagers and the desire they have to connect to that instead of all the other things. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what you thought about this, but like they, one of the things they talked about is how it sort of cheapen, we sort of cheapen some of the Jesus stuff so mm -hmm. that it sort of matches the brand stuff of the world. So one of the examples that I used is, um, I remember at one point uh, writing something about Valentine's Day and somebody said on my Facebook, oh, but Jesus is your boyfriend. And it's sort of like we do this affiliation with something that's going on. I'm like, actually, no, like Jesus is the Lord and savior of my life. And I don't want any boy to be that for me ever. Right. Like it's this. And so we actually cheapen and dumb it down to something that looks like the culture instead of this other thing that's happening when we define ourselves by Jesus. So I certainly would agree that this is a really key point for resilient faith. Why do you think, um, why do you think that is? Why do you think we kind of jump to that, you know, to that point? I mean, I, I, I've, I've got some thoughts about that, but, you know, you brought it up and I think it's a great point, right? Like, why do you think that's such an easy thing to jump to? Yeah, I, one of the things that, um, yeah, the, the brand Jesus thing, I think it's just what we see around us, right? right. It's, it's what we attach ourselves to with other things too. And so that, like I said, it cheapens it. It's like, we're trying to make it look like something we see in the world instead of something that Jesus calls us to differently. What, what are some of your thoughts there? Well, I, I think you're, you hit it on the head. I think it's, it's, uh, um, without getting into this conversation too, too much, I think when the sense I got from him when he was sharing this, and I, I agree with him, is that we, when we look at the way the world uh, gains and gathers followers in in an easy way, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to it's hard to like look at that and say like, 
what can we do there mm -hmm. that we can do here? And then in the same way, by doing that, we, we have to give up something. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, like you said, it, it, it sort of cheapens that, and that might be the cheaper part. And I, and I don't, and I'm not saying that everything that the church does is a bad thing. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's, um, there has to be a real conversation about that, right? Where when we look at the scriptures, when we look at what Jesus did, I, I even asked this question, if Jesus were to be walking the earth right now, instead of 2000 years ago, what would be the things that he would be calling people to, right? And and how would that sort of, how would he fight digital Babylon, if you will? How would he fight the culture of those kinds of things, right? Um, but but I even think that there's a, uh, there's an element uh, that he, he talks about, which I really love that this whole idea of relig religious clutter versus intimacy, right? And it's like, so what does intimacy with Jesus look like versus religious things that we do that make it sound like if we do this, then we have closeness with Jesus. And what, what he seems to suggest with the data, which I loved because it's not like, here's my opinion. He's like, here's fact, right? He's like the people who actually identify with being uh, disciples of Jesus and having this resilient identity uh, are ones who realize that, Hey, my my identity is actually stamped aside from this religious clutter. And I, I, I love that, right? I love that sort of, you, it's hard to argue against facts and data, but there mm -hmm. it is, right? And so I, I love that. And I think it gives me hope to think, okay, how do we, how do we move towards that, right? So. Yeah, and I think for me in my experience, it removes that behavioral piece that I think has absolutely, been, you know, from memory verses when you're really little all the way through to, you know, the purity culture of my day and everything you were supposed to do in XYZ meant you were going to have a great marriage and everything was going to come up roses for you. Like, <laughs> is it, and it, and to me that created a fear of God versus yeah. an understanding of how I was defined in him. I was afraid yeah. of letting them down or doing the wrong thing or misbehaving instead of actually defining myself by who he said I was. So instead of being focused on how he's uniquely gifted me or the ways that I can um, use my skills and talents for the sake of something for the kingdom, it was like, well, I'm not supposed to do this and I shouldn't do that. And if I do this better, I'll get closer. And it was all sort of behavior modification instead of exactly like you said in that opening statement, true transformation. And, um, yeah, it's in, and for, I think, probably of your era too, right? Like we talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. when I was on staff at the church, like why is discipleship so hard? And this is it, <laughs> so that it's not, it isn't yeah. a bunch of, you know, let's do these five courses that get you to maturity. It's yeah. about for more and more defining yourself in Christ. I, I also think that there's a, um, uh, he calls it cultural capitulation, right? Where there's, there's like a, a giving into the, the, the rhythm of the culture. And I think you kind of touched on it in that, you know, this, this easy uh, sort of access to all of these things. And um, almost as if like when you give into the cultural things, when you buy a product, when you consume all these things, there, there isn't much of a cost there for a person, right? You consume it. It's like, it's there for you and your sole purpose. And so there, there isn't, um, th there's this rhythm of like not being called to like a higher purpose or a commitment uh, in that consumeristic culture, which is why I think there's a need to con constantly consume, right? Totally. Um, 
And yes. when, I, when you put that, when you base that on what it means to truly follow Jesus, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an overnight thing, obviously, but as you move towards that, you realize, hey, uh, Jesus is calling me to some long-term, lifelong, deep things that, you know, brand X, Y, and Z in my culture don't really call me to, right? Or like, there's no calling there. Um, so I, I thought that was, that was really, really key in that, right? Sorry, I cut you off, but. No, it's fine. I, I, I just, I agree. And there's a part too, it's like, to me, it's also partly contribution. And so there's yeah. this, there's a section where he talked about with young people in the church, like the, the greater church is so afraid of the next generation, not yeah. Jesus, that it's like, oh, they're, at least they're here. Let's make everything easy for right. them they're in the pews and I totally identify as being a 20 something who was still at Forest Brook and there weren't a lot of 20 somethings left and it felt like I was carrying this load of expectations <laughs> and like I needed to I needed to stay to save the generation but actually what I wanted to do was to contribute like I just wanted yeah. to I was already convinced of Jesus I was already dedicated to the local church I didn't need to be spoon-fed I just wanted yeah. to contribute. and so um, that was a bit of a fight for me in my generation, even in our own church's history. It was like, no, yeah. don't just like praise us because we're in the pew. Yeah. Let us let us join in on what's happening here so that we can so that we can have that. What I uh, what I imagined and you you hit on this. I, I it's so good that you did because I I wasn't going to share this, but I had this image of conduits, mm -hmm. right? And um, if if we were going to help. Uh, this process of our young people become conduits for which Jesus and his spirit really filled them to this point where they understood what resiliency and their identity looked like, that the only natural response for what a conduit does is to let it flow from the outside. Yeah. And I think to me, what excites me and what you just said is so true, right? Is that as this process takes place and shows up, um, our response as leaders, I mean, you know, um, ought to not just be like, okay, now simmer down now, you know, this is not like this, but it's like, okay, if this is the way God in, in, is shaping you uh, and, and leading you, then there, there, there ought to be a, uh, a, a response, if you will, of, of actually showing what that commitment to Jesus looks like in, in the way you contribute to your community. So that, that was, that's a really, really great point that, uh, that, that I think from your experience um, is, is, is there, right? Mm -hmm. um, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, what did you think about his, um, when he starts talking about households and, and faith and, um, I, I have my own experience from my own parents that I really, really loved. Uh, I, I never really had a great uh, teenage uh, experience, if you will, with my parents. My dad was a pastor, uh, you know, that hated his guts type of thing. But, you know, I love him now, but that's for another podcast. But, um, but the one thing I remember from them was that they, they always displayed um, I guess since we're talking about cost, they always displayed these rhythms of what it cost. Cost is a, a different word, but what it what it meant to follow after Jesus, and they always did it in a way to sort of show it to us. 
before they said, hey, have you prayed today? Or have you, uh, have you read your Bible today? Or whatever, right? It was always displayed for us to see very intentionally. Um, and I know he touches on that, but I, I want to know what you thought, what your thoughts about that were, were like mm -hmm. in, in response to this discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he talks about um, parents and other adults who have vibrant faith. And I, I totally agree that that's my experience too. Like, I don't, I'm not just following Jesus because my grandparents did and then my parents mm -hmm. did and all my aunts and uncles do. And part of the reason I am is because they showed me, like they allowed me into their own faith and talked to mm -hmm. me like a real friend and like a real person and didn't it. But um, he talks about how um, family faith is actually becoming less influential and it's because of the noise of all these other identity pressures and the ability yeah. to say, oh, I don't read it that way, or that's not very me, or there's this real individualistic identity. And I mm -hmm. think that too is one of the things we've seen happen with discipleship in the church is it's all about, I can go deeper, deeper, deeper. Mm -hmm. And it's less of a we thing that happens. But mm -hmm. um, he talks about how the gravitational pull of digital Babylon mm -hmm. is um, sometimes stronger than the memory of Jerusalem in the exile metaphor. And I think that that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really the difference is just like you said in the introduction that um, creating a disciple one life at a time that life on life yeah. be it a parent be it a youth leader be it another caring adult in a church who helps to create the space where we can learn to to love Jesus and to follow after him. Hmm. That's great. Um, so we are really excited and privileged to be joined by Emily Reed, uh, who's, who's here. And uh, we're, you're going to start noticing these in all these podcasts. We have guests uh, of different, uh, from different backgrounds, different shapes, different sizes, and uh, in different parts of their walk with God. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to ask these different guests and we want to ask Emily uh, based on some of her experience growing up in the church and uh, trying figuring out some of the stuff that we were talking about today in terms of a resilient identity. Um, and by all means, let me just give this uh, caveat for to, to those of you listening. Um, by no means are we ever saying that um, we have it all together. This is a process. This is something that we uh, are chasing after. And uh, God allows us much grace uh, in all of this. And and as we discover that calling. So Emily, thanks so much for joining us. And we're really, really excited. Um, I've had such great experiences with Emily. Uh, I've known her since she was probably what, seven or eight years old. And I, I realized people with like Emily older, older than that. Uh, yeah. Okay. I the, then I don't feel nine, as bad. Nine, ten. Nine or 10. Okay. So a little bit better. Uh, Emily is one of those people who I look at and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a full grown adult. I'm really old. You know, <laughs> like I was like, I used to carry this girl on my back after church every Sunday, right? And give piggyback rides up and down the sanctuary, right? So, um, and, and you know, Emily has grown up uh, in, in our youth and uh, has, uh, we've gone on several mission trips together. And Emily has certainly uh, been in leadership roles, uh, capacities, and, um, I've, I've certainly seen Emily uh, grow into this uh, faith-filled individual who, uh, you know, is, is chasing after uh, a God with, with everything that she has. Um, and so, and, and I'm not, again, suggesting that everything was easy and what, but let me, let me just jump into this and ask you this. Um, okay, here we what, go. 
What did you, yeah, here we go. Oh. Thanks for having me. I feel like after that introduction, no I just say thank you. You're like, no, no problem. Oh, you're you're more than welcome. Um, what, what do you find most compelling um, about Jesus? Um, I think for me, um, I guess like with a backstory, my mom, actually this year will be 10 years since my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So it was when I was, fresh into grade nine. So I was um, just at my first semester into grade nine when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And then three years ago on Wednesday, she passed away. Um, so that I think had a huge development in my faith, like being a very influential, like 15 year old fresh into high school, like having a parent that was going through chemotherapy, losing her hair, like having a surgery, um, I feel like really changed the way that I viewed Jesus at the time, maybe not the best way. Like, obviously there was moments where I was still a very sassy and like not nice teenage girl. Um, but I think like into my twenties, like over the last few years, I think I've just like noticed God's grace, which I feel like is something a lot of people say, like a lot of people are like, Oh, God's grace is so great but I really feel like that's something that I've like gotten to know personally like I'm not saying that being like oh like God's grace is amazing like I've walked through a season being season a period of time of being like spiteful being a little bit angsty being all sorts of things but Jesus was like patiently consistently there every step of the way like reassuring me like maybe not verbally but telling me like Emily like I'm here I'm here for you every step of the way when you feel like nobody understands you like I do I understand everything that you're going through and like more if that's even possible like there's always um like room to communicate with me. And I think especially in times of feeling like lonely or isolated during that, because I didn't really have a lot of people around me that lost their mom when they were 20 or had their mom get diagnosed with like breast cancer when they were 15. I think relying on like who God says he is in the Bible, like I am faithful. I am a father and like really looking into that and being like, okay, like I can trust these things he's saying. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and, it, and it sort of speaks to what we were talking about, right? That it's it's this depth. You crave the depth. And when you went looking for it, you found it. You know, like you weren't looking for the platitude or for somebody to say the nice thing. You actually got to contend with Jesus yeah. and, he, and he met you there. Yeah. And it like, I think the thing that's hard about my generation because I'm like technically the first year of Gen Z so I'm a Gen Zer I guess congratulations <laughs> thank you <laughs> um it is I think hard to seek something out like even recently I've been struggling with this I'm like literally I just looked over like my bed is right beside my my bed goodness sakes my bible is right beside my bed and like something in me every morning will I would walk across my room to get my phone, but I wouldn't turn over to read my Bible. 
And I feel like that's just like the generation I grew up in was like craving something instantaneously. I can wake up, look at my phone. Maybe it's not in a healthy way. Like maybe I'm like comparing myself in the morning or whatever. And that's how I start my day rather than being like, I'm going to do something that's maybe a little bit more challenging looking at my phone. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to journal. I'm going to do whatever. Mm. And sometimes like there can be a pull, I think, because like my generation is like so used to having that. It's not like, oh, I got my first phone when I was 20. It's like, I got my first phone while I was older, like I was 15, but like, that was just so naturally part of like my culture that like, Mm. sometimes it's, like a mental switch that I'm like, Emily, like you need to stop. Like your phone is not giving you everything in the world. Like it's not, it's honestly taking away more than it's giving you. Um, and sometimes it's hard to recognize that, especially in a season or like a time in your life when you're feeling lonely or feeling insecure or feeling less than like, it's easy to like turn to your phone because it's right there Mm -hmm. and it will give you new information every five seconds but your Bible, there's like, it's always going to be consistent. It's always going to be like the backbone. It just might take more effort. And I think it's something I've kind of learned is like through God's grace, also giving grace to myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think sometimes in the morning, especially like as a young person, you think to yourself, like maybe you see your mom or your dad spending a lot of time, like, in the morning reading and you're like I just can't do that like I just can't like you can start really small like it doesn't have to be something crazy like waking up and reading even like three verses Mm -hmm. okay great perfect then like try maybe to remember those three verses throughout the day and I think that's something I do and I'm like I found joy that's helped my day move forward compared to like I don't remember the pictures I look at on Instagram throughout the day like that doesn't do anything for me but reading my bible even if it is three verses Mm. takes me five minutes like that's something that can impact my day like so greatly Mm -hmm. yeah and it's interesting that like um you're talking about sort of the pace of the world we live in and as much as your story breaks our hearts and it was hard to to watch you go through that and to walk with you in those days it's like so cool that what jesus taught you in the slow of that is just a different a different rhythm or a different Mm -hmm. cadence that is following him that can be longer and slower and harder and it's not the instantaneous that we experience in the world so that's a cool it's cool that thing um were there things in your growing up in church experience that actually kept you away like we talked a little bit about that religious clutter was there were there things that you felt like sometimes the church put in the way that actually got between you and Jesus um I like I think you said this Rach like behavior modification earlier um I feel like it maybe isn't like the same thing like I feel like when I was growing up like I feel like definitely more like in the nineties, early two thousands, like there was that really big, like purity, purity ring, (laughs) all that type of culture. Like that wasn't necessarily the same thing that was modified, but I feel like almost it was like, you can't be like, I don't know, like a girl who wears short skirts. Like, I feel like 
there was more of like, you can't be like, I don't know how to say it than like of the world. Like mm-hmm. you can't like have like lash extensions. You can't do like this. You can't do that. Like, and maybe that's because my small group leader, like grade nine to grade 12 was like somebody who was honestly more conservative than my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, which sometimes would be hard because like, I'm my youngest child. I have two older siblings that are like quite liberal people that I'm like, this is not adding up. Like what you're telling me to do on a Tuesday is like not my world that I live Monday through Sunday. Um, so that I think was difficult, like at times. And I think also like going way back, I feel like sometimes it was like the transition period almost between like being a kid and being like in adult church, I found sometimes held me back. Like, I feel like there was an opportunity for like me to ask questions or like, what if I like, didn't know what to say before like communion? Like, what if I didn't know what to pray? Or like, what if I like had questions about baptism or like, what if like these bigger questions that like nobody really addressed? Like, what if I didn't know what to do? Then I'm like, I have this expectation because like I've grown up in the church. I feel like people who are like new to the faith, even if they're like 55, they're like, oh, great. Ask all the questions. They're so happy to help you. But if I asked that, I would be like, Emily, are you kidding me? Like, didn't your parents tell you this after the dinner table? Like, like, I feel like that type of behavior sometimes was hard. Like, maybe that was the own personal pressure I put on myself like being a church kid like I'm supposed to know everything and then I'm supposed to tell people about that but yet all my friends want to do is party and hook up essentially and yet I'm supposed to like put the pieces of my like faith and try to share that with them at the lunch table at school like "Eh, I don't think so like I can't do it (laughs) so it was like you lacked the ability to explore like as a that you felt the pressure that you should just know everything because you've been there the whole time yeah like I feel like an ex maybe like expectations like I feel like there's always especially when like you said the word like growing up in church like like you were saying earlier which I guess is like a shift between maybe our generation and maybe even people that are a few years younger than me um like having my grandparents, my parents, like sometimes I just like wouldn't think of asking them those questions, but I would come to a Tuesday. I'm surrounded by like 15 girls and these like two small group leaders who are like conservative women that I'm like, oh shoot, this is not the time to be asking, hey, like does anyone else like not know what to say to Jesus when we're taking communion? Is that just me? (laughs) Like I didn't know what to say. And I feel like there was this expectation of like, it's not, yeah, you were raised in the church. You're supposed to know everything. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough that I resonate with that for sure. Um, one of the things that this chapter talks about is um, that I, that I found really captivating. I think I actually talked about it in our first podcast is that we're all loved into loving Jesus. Like we, mm. we encounter people in our lives who love Jesus and that's hmm. what propels us to. And, 
you know, you kind of think like, does that happen any other way? And I'm like, no, I don't think it does. Like even in evangelism, it's like, oh no, I met this person who stood out at work because they were different and they were, you know, they loved their community differently. And that's what led me to explore Jesus. And it's kind of a cool thought. And so um, who loved you into loving Jesus? Um, I think that is like the first person that can come to my mind from like, from when I was a baby until even present day, um, is my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, her faith, I think would be like the most consistent Mm -hmm. from when, like I said, like I was a child until even now, even three years without having her here on earth, I feel like I still look up to her faith and how she loved Jesus, especially in her last, um, her last few years, she actually didn't work just because of her cancer. So I very much saw her on a regular basis, which was something that maybe like growing up, she worked as a nurse. She was very busy, like a very involved mom, but was very busy. So maybe I didn't see as much of her like personal time with Jesus, even though she made that evident. But I would say in the last two years of her life, when she was at home and wasn't working, like every minute, every minute, like of her day was just like pouring into her relationship with my God. And I think, um, what I like almost empowers me now even is I, she went through a really lonely season, Mm. um, of her last few years, I think were hard. I don't think she would have ever told anyone that they were hard, but I think they were. Mm -hmm. Um, so she just relied on Jesus to be her best friend. Mm -hmm. Like she would bring everything to him and I think seeing that I'm like I don't I definitely don't think like you said earlier Rach like Jesus is definitely not my boyfriend but I think I got to see an intimacy with my mom and Jesus that I like really reflect on and I'm like that's something that I now do in my own life I'm like sometimes thinking even though Jesus is our Lord and Savior sometimes having that type of I I found that pressure like as a young teen now I can definitely respect that but as a young young teenager that kind of scared me like what does that mean to be a Lord and Savior Mm -hmm. um but now in like my 20s I, I kind of bring that element of like Jesus is my Savior but he also is right with me in every season Mm -hmm. he understands me when no one else does he's a comforter he Mm -hmm. is tender and understanding and anything I say to him won't scare him Mm -hmm. won't you know won't create a distance he'll always be right there just waiting for me to engage in intimacy with him intimacy meaning just communication not necessarily anything crazy um but I think that's something like from my mom I've just especially yeah over the last three years I'm like took that as my own yeah and it's it's to be honest and that's the reason you were right for this particular episode because my privilege of being involved in your life um, toward the end of your mom's life and in the years that have followed 
is um, I so distinctly remember you talking about that, that you picked up on what she was modeling for you. It impacted you and then it propelled you into your own next steps and brave steps that you took, right? To go to Cape and Ray and to really invest in your relationship with Jesus. And you, it was so clear to me as someone who got to watch your life that you watched this in your mom and then you tucked it into your own heart and you pursued it for yourself. And that's, um, that's kind of what this whole chapter is all about. So I commend you for it. You've done an amazing job. Yeah. And, okay. and I wanted, I want to, Oh, sorry. Um, I, I want to jump in on something you, you touched on and um, you talked about the intimacy that you have with Jesus and uh, uh, how you connect and communicate with him. Right. And mm. um, I'm just curious how you, um, over, over the time, um, you know, how do you hear from God? Right. Because I mean, so one thing that we've been, we, we realized that it's not, we talk at God, you know, he communicates with us through his Holy spirit. Right. Um, I think, I think the one, one quote that that's in the book that I found was really helpful was he says that hearing from God isn't some kind of spooky transcendental thing, you know, where like our eyes glaze over and God takes over our bodies. There's nothing weird or whatever, but, but really for a resilient di disciple, it shows that it's more natural. It's this everyday reliance and dependence. So I wondered if you could speak to that um, a little bit, just as you mentioned that, um, you know, how do you hear from God? Um, I would say also, this maybe is something that's grown in the last few mm -hmm. years. It was something actually I was, insecure maybe isn't the right word but like I think for a long time in my teens I really was fixated on like it has to be like hearing like I have to hear like his voice mm -hmm. for me to hear God so for a long time I didn't even think I heard him which was something I guess maybe insecurity is what it was because I'm like I didn't want to tell Rach, I didn't want to tell my small group leaders, like, sure as anything, maybe I wouldn't want to tell Jim, like, he's supposed to be like a pastor. Why would I tell him I can't hear God? <laughs> what? Um, because I feel like that's something maybe also that I found, especially in my teen years. Like, as a kid, I feel like hearing God maybe isn't as used in, like, kid culture. But, like, I feel like once you get into, like, adult church, that's something that's talked about a lot. And I'm like, once again, I was like raised in church. I don't hear him. Mm -hmm. Like, am I all like, I'm even if people were like, oh, not everyone hears like, ver like audibly Jesus. Mm -hmm. It still like wouldn't click with me. I'm like, what am I supposed to be feeling? What am I supposed to be doing mm -hmm. to hear him? Because I'm not hearing anything. Um, so in my twenties, I feel like after my mom died, um, I went through quite a period of like anxiety. I never really experienced anxiety um, at all before my mom died. Um, my mom, for maybe those people that don't know, maybe I can try to describe it. She was just my person. I don't really know mm -hmm. how else to say it. She was in some ways, maybe re reflecting back, it's hard because it was so... Like I was literally since I was an infant, but I feel like almost I kind of put the comfort of Jesus like reflected on her. Um, so 
when she passed, there was like this huge season of anxiety. And I felt like when I would pray, it wouldn't be like this instantaneous, like, oh, now I have peace and everything in the world is great. Um, it would be like over time. Like if I continue mm. to pray about that, I'm like, I'm feeling peace. Like I'm feeling comfort. Mm. I'm feeling like some closeness of something. Like I know if I pray to God, maybe the next morning I wake up and I can like look at my mom's garden and feel joy instead of sorrow. Like maybe it, like it was mm. kind of transformed itself in different ways. Mm. But I think in a lot of ways, it was like a sense of comfort and peace. That's kind of where I felt God's presence most. And I think so even though maybe I'm not hearing him, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that's grown now into yeah. my 20s is the sense of comfort, especially like with continual, continual prayer. Yeah. Like I find if I like pray for something once, sometimes maybe I'll feel like an instant comfort. And I'm like, oh, like God is... God is with me but for the most part it's continual I'm like okay yeah. I'm gonna pray I'm gonna journal the other night I was actually reading my journal back almost three years ago and I'm like it's crazy to think like in that season how much like turmoil I felt but like now I'm like I can read that back and be like you're just you were just growing Emily and like hmm. the Lord was so near to you because he's brought you so far and like now you can look back at that and be like God was with you in that season and you felt his presence, but you maybe just didn't know what to do with it at the time. But like mm -hmm. now I do, like now I know like, okay, that, that peace, that comfort hmm. it's now in God instead of in a human, which sometimes is hard. It was hard to transition that yeah. from having a human be comforter to being Jesus. But I think it's a little bit more um, long lasting. Yeah. yeah. I I, I really, I really appreciate what you just said, because um, what I heard you just explain was this uh, process of a journey of learning to cultivate this um, heart and space for God, right? So I bet you if we had this conversation a year from now, or four years from now, whatever, that you'd be farther in that journey, because you're, 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 you know, you're reaching for, towards this internal uh, you know, what, what it is, how is it that God actually speaks to your spirit? Right. Um, and, and it's what we were talking about in the dialogue before. It's not something that we put on ourselves from the outside, which is like, let's modify behavior so that we feel good about ourselves in this thing, but rather know that as somebody who follows after Jesus, this is how and where we kind of move and progress. So I, I, I you know, I honor that and I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, and then proud of you for saying what you did because i think that's that's huge um you know um so thank you for that so you're welcome well um i i appreciate you uh sharing what you did and uh thank you so much for joining us uh, and um i i really hope that as you as for all of you who are listening um that as you um, wrestle with some of these things. We'd love to hear what you you think. Um, you know, throw out some of your comments in the uh, the description or in the comments below, or um, 
or just as you wrestle with these things, feel free to reach out to us and uh, put these to us. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out how and where to uh, really navigate uh, some of these things that we're hearing. And uh, as you, you listen to some of these other episodes that are coming up, um, all these things combine uh, into this one uh, strategy, if you will, to, to draw us uh, and our, our younger generations, uh, combined with our older generations, to, to really walk this thing uh, called faith uh, in the midst of a world that just is so fast-paced, that's so um, ever-changing from moment to moment, and yet um, we're still called to um, make disciples in, in the midst of this. So thank you so much for joining us. Rach, thank you so much for uh, inputting. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks.